All right, back on Young Turks. Uh, in the next half hour, we're gonna do a post game for you guys that's wild. Uh, Hillary Clinton goes after Bernie Sanders again. Uh oh, okay, so tyt.com slash joining in the last half hour. But uh, now we got a great guest for you guys. So joining me now is Margaret Cho, uh, not a big deal, just five Grammy uh, award nominations, one Emmy nomination, uh, doing a comedy core, or tour called Fresh Off the Bloat, which is on name alone is hilarious. <laughs> Uh, and and the Margaret Cho podcast, and you were on Law and Order SVU, and obviously the legendary All American Girl yeah. the sitcom from back in the day that started so many things. In fact, I didn't know. I just saw in your uh, bio, even though I watched the first episode of Fresh Off the Boat, that they featured you, the All American Girl, in the show. They were watching it. Yeah, yeah, they were watching it. Which because the show is actually set in the '90s, so they're right. actually watching it. And then you know because um, our show. Uh, when I was doing All American Girl, it was for a lot of um, Asian Americans was the first time they saw another Asian American on television. Show. So even though the show didn't last for very long, it was very important for a lot of Asian Americans, a lot of Americans in general, but especially for Asian Americans to see that. So it was important for all of us. Yeah, I remember, well, we were just talking about it off air that, uh, that uh, my friends and I, we, there was a lot of Asians that I grew up with. When we saw that show come on, we're like, oh my God, it's a show about Asians. Yes. Like, in a sense, we were finally on TV. <laughs> yes, and, yes. And so that was groundbreaking and awesome and made a huge difference. Yes, representation really matters, and you really see it. And when you, um, it really reverberates, you know, and, and it really makes a difference, and, and it's, it's incredibly empowering. So I, I'm grateful for a show like Fresh Off the Boat and its longevity. Now and uh, so now, I'm, and we'll have more and more. Yeah, absolutely. Now we're, you're known for your raw honesty, which we're going to get to in a second, and it, about the tour too. But another thing I didn't know about back in the day was that Tarantino was in All American Girl. Yes, yes. And I didn't know you guys dated back then. I had yes. no idea. Well, he and I are big film fans, and we spent a lot of time together because he was to, was a video store clerk back in the day, and he had actually bought out the store, so we had about eight thousand movies to get through together. Um, that we watched all of the all of these movies. I mean, you know, that was the the crux of our relationship was watching movie after movie. I mean, it was really it was really great times, and um, you know, we learned a lot about movies. We learned a lot about just what we wanted to do with our lives. And and um, you know, he's a great guy, and he was on our show. And um, you really see how uh, Hollywood is. You know, I was with him in the. That, like between Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, and you saw how much power somebody like that wields in Hollywood. Um, I've never seen anything like it. You know how like people how? Well, like what fall happens? down, fall at their, fall at your feet. You know, just will do anything for you. You know, you go into a restaurant, and he would like walk in, and we would walk in together, and people would just like scurry around, just trying to get you the best table, trying to get you anything you wanted, and and that kind of power to me was just foreign because I'd never seen it, but. Uh, he was very. He was growing to become used to it, because that's what everybody was doing, and it was really interesting. It was a very interesting display of um, privilege and um, power in Hollywood, and how the balance was changing, and how artistry was becoming the new kind of um, currency. Yeah, you know, I know a guy who dated Sarah Silverman, and he said, "Look, it kind of warps your sense of reality <laughs> because whenever you're in a restaurant, you feel like people, everyone in the room is constantly looking at you, <laughs> which is relatively true, yes, right?" Yes. So, how did that feel? It was that was that trippy? Was it 
overall good or was it overall bad? Because I could feel kind of oppressive to have everyone like looking at you under a microscope nonstop. I guess it was at that time, I mean, we were kind of like, um, I don't know, we, we were sort of, I, I don't know, we were kind of like the, the geekiest, most perfect couple. I mean, we're, we're sort of like the, like the, the, the Comic-Con Brangelina, like, you know, because it was like me <laughs> and him, you know, like that's yeah. the perfect geeky combination, you know, like right. the geek dream. Basically. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like we were, yeah, we were riding that sort of wave of um, non-conventional, conventional, geeky, perfect. Right. So <laughs> the, your demo is uh, our audio technician Bart. Okay. Yes. So uh, Bart's a huge film buff, huge Tarantino fan. Awesome. And so when you said you watched eight thousand movies with Tarantino, we loved Bart. It. Nearly had a heart attack. The best. He's, he's, oh my god. We would love like, a movie so hard we would have to rewind it and watch it again. So that happened with Mandingo. It happened with Fat City. Um, it happened with quite a few movies. We would actually have to just rewind it and watch it again. And, and this is on VHS uh -huh. or PAL sometimes because we had uh, both formats, those players. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, you know, it was it was quite a paradise. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, now uh, in your tour, uh, usual raw honesty from Margaret Cho as always. Well, right? yes, yes. So you described yourself as coming back from the river sticks. <laughs> So, okay, why? What is what Well, happened? I was going along on a very dark path in my life. You know, I was, I think with comedy in, in particular, there's a kind of thing where comedians, we really burn out pretty quickly. And I was doing a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, and, and going about a very like difficult place in my lifetime and in a destructive relationship with somebody I didn't want to be with. And, you know, I joke about it in my acts, like I was in a relationship I didn't want to be in, and I was doing a lot of drugs because I was trying to break up with him by dying. And it, it's actually really hard to do that. Okay, so, well, thank God. <laughs> well, and so I cleaned my act up, cleaned my life up, and so now I'm back to it. But I'm back to doing comedy about it, which is great. It's and it's kind of it's a good time to do comedy, especially political comedy, because everything's changing. And mm -hmm. now, like everything really is changing, and so you're minute to minute really trying to figure out how we're going to actually play this, like what's going to actually happen, like. I really I finally realized, oh, I think we're actually gonna impeach. I yeah. really think it's gonna happen. Yeah. I didn't think so. Yeah, you were worried about <laughs> it, right? I was worried, like, are we just not gonna, are we just gonna like dance around this and it's not gonna, now I actually think, oh, I actually think it's gonna happen now. I, I really didn't think it was going to, but now I think it is. And so now I'm back on it. I'm like, oh, now I'm here, I'm here for it. Okay, good, Very I'm glad excited. you're here. <laughs> Very excited. So uh, look, this is a, what do you make of Trump? Like so, in that, so I know the easy answer is, oh well, it, it makes comics lives easier, but uh, but it's also like like psychologically wearing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I wonder what your overall take on well, it. Well, it's it's worn us all down. Like I think that it's really it's been terrible for the planet. It's actually been terrible for the world. It's actually like made a mockery of what's actually a very important office, and it's an actually very important state. It's an important position of power to be in and it's made um, something that uh, is actually kind of a great thing to be something really dumb. And so <laughs> now we've got to like re-legitimize that position somehow, like reconfigure the office of presidency. Like well, how do we make that like a legit thing again? It's, yeah, I mean, it's a great way of putting it. It's we've turned the presidency into a joke. Yeah. And yeah. so it'd be nice if that was the one place that was not a joke. Yeah, 
So now we have to re refigure how we can do that. I feel like the person that could probably do that would be Bernie Sanders. He's somebody that I really, I, I really have enjoyed for a long time. I endorsed him first time around. I would definitely do it again. Also, I love Elizabeth Warren. I think she's great. I don't care. I, I, I'm a little bit of that thing of like, a little bit like I don't care who it is as long as it's not Trump. But I also think that we have the position of like, we can get somebody in there that we really do want. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So um, it feels like comedy is one place where you can be as political as you want. Yeah. Is that fair to say? I think so. I feel like there there can be a little fatigue with um, maybe actors. Like I think that people can get, there seems to be a little bit of like early 2000s fatigue around certain issues like people would get tired around actors talking about um, Tibet because they couldn't understand. Like I think because actors never fully explained why they were on certain issues. Like people like um, that were, you know, very liberal diehards, like whether it was Richard Gere or Susan Sarandon, or you know, they right. wouldn't fully explain. They didn't have the time or the language to explain why they were on these issues, and so you would get liberal fatigue around it. Whereas comedians can fully, like, kind of like say, "Well, this is what it is," and so you know, get behind things that make people understand. Yeah, I think that um, of all the different groups we were talking to earlier in the show about uh, forty-four different billionaires are giving money to Joe Biden, mm -hmm. right? Uh, of all the wealthy groups, the one demographic uh, that is the most progressive appears to be actors, mm -hmm. not movie executives. That's a totally, that's a totally different totally, category. Yeah, that's a totally different thing, right? But actors uh, actually are progressive, even if they're incredibly wealthy. It appears yeah, yeah. on average. So yeah, bless yeah. their hearts for that. Okay, but now on the back to the standup, you call it the sickest standup uh, you've ever done. Why? I think so I think because it's like when you get as close to death as. I have, you know, when you feel like there's nothing left to lose, then then you can you can really kind of play around with that, and then you you're sort of in a place like for me as an older woman, I think like at at that time too, like I got into this Ajima stage, and I think that like Ajima is an older Korean woman where we're at the height of our powers because everybody's terrified of us, so that's the best <laughs> place to be. <laughs> okay, so uh, how close were you to death? Well, I mean, it, it's like when you're drinking that much and doing as many drugs as I was, then you're just pretty much playing around with like, am I gonna wake up tomorrow? You know, you don't mm -hmm. really know. And so that kind of thing of like, I'm kind of living on borrowed time now. So I, I feel like, okay, well, I'm really lucky to be alive. And so like, let's just make the most of it. And now comedy is sort of my one place where I can kind of be as outrageous and as wild as I can be. So this is my last high that I get. Yeah, and so there's, I think, something wonderfully liberating about nothing left to lose, mm -hmm. which is pretty much describes my economic condition for my life. Uh, but, <laughs> um, but, uh, but one of the troubles is whether you can keep that, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. can you, uh, because like you get to that certain point, then you feel a little liberated, mm -hmm. but as life goes on, do you still hold on to that attitude of, I don't care, I got nothing left to lose, uh, yeah. let's have fun? Like that's the thing is like how can we how how can we gamble everything and gamble everything and keep on winning and like not lose everything like to, to me like okay how do I keep on doing this without getting canceled that's like everybody's afraid of getting canceled like we have cancel culture and then you see somebody like Dave Chappelle's like so good at 
doing it without getting canceled. So maybe maybe there's a way to do it. But then I was like, well, I think I was canceled before everybody else. I got, my show got canceled in 1994, so I think I'm safe. So maybe <laughs> so I was the immu- original cancel I was, culture. I was originally canceled like really early on, so I was immunized first. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you make of that? Because see, that's you're in an interesting situation because you're very progressive, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and uh, and and very honest and raw about it, but not a huge fan of the cancel culture. So how do you balance those things? Well, I think it's really about um, trying to figure out where your compassion is, because I think cancellation kind of comes where your where your compassion is lacking. You know, cancellation kind of comes if you're um, lacking and you're um, insistent on your own homophobia or you're insistent on your own um, cisgender privilege or you're insistent on your own racism. So therein lies the problem. So because I'm also queer, because I'm also woman, because I'm also a woman of color, there's certain inherent things that maybe keep me away from those biases, possibly. You know, so I don't know where privilege comes in. Maybe my queerness prevents me from that privilege, but I don't know yet. You know, yeah. um, so I'm still trying to see. I'm still trying to test where that lies. Um, but I'm always trying to question it and tra- trying to figure that out within myself where that privilege is and trying to combat it. So maybe you know I'll find it, but I, I'm actively trying to question it, actively trying to combat it within myself. So trying to contain it and trying to remain intersectional and teachable within. So uh, well, that was really smart. Um, okay, so uh, let me see if I kept up with it. So you, Mario, you call yourself queer. Um, yes. So for example, let's start with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, wh- what does that mean to you? Well, I have relationships um, with uh, women, with transgendered people, with people who identify uh, as gender fluid with people who identify as a transgender, with people who identify in different um, gender identifications that are not necessarily male or female. So um, their their identifications of gender do not denote my attraction to them, um, and that's something that I've always been. Um, so my queerness is um, definitely something that has sort of always been a part of my sexuality. And um, so gender fluidity has kind of grown up around my queerness. And so I feel like I've kind of ushered in a lot of that, um, which feels really good. And it feels empowering that now this generation of you know non-binary people have kind of grown up around this sexuality that I've always felt. So look, partly because I'm curious, partly because I want people to get comfortable with it. I want to explore that a little bit more. So when you were younger, uh, to what degree did you recognize that you uh, were attracted to men, women, transgender people, non-binary, etc.? I, I don't think we even had that language. I yeah. think you were about the same age when yeah. we were growing up, mm-hmm. right? But did you know when you were in high school mm-hmm. that you were attracted to that whole range? Yeah, and that we didn't really even have language to sort of address it. So we would talk about it in terms like stone butch was a was a term that would come up a lot, or or butch, or femme, or um, different kinds of terms within the lesbian community that would come up around identity and how we identified with ourselves. And and sometimes there was no identity, and sometimes there was no words around it, but we would just understand. And um, even uh, being sort of asexual too, that that was part of it. So there was a lot of understanding of sexuality 
within my community that had no words that I got. That it was like a, I grokked it. Like it was kind of mm -hmm. like, oh, I totally get this. Like this is like part of my tribe. And so now there's many more terms to kind of identify us um, where they didn't really exist before. So it's it's really cool to see that. Yeah, that is really interesting evolution, and you kind of lived it yes. in a sense. Now you had an extra aspect to that, and and I coming from an immigrant background, and and Turks are kind of Asian, right? Yeah, yeah. And grew up with a lot of Asians. I, I think I can say it was probably more difficult growing up Asian, being honest about that background. Mm -hmm. Is my guess, knowing the experiences that I've had and others have had. Right. Is that true in your case? Yes, because there's a kind of, well, there's a, there a real puritanical streak around Asians, around Koreans in particular, around gayness, around queerness, which my family in particular really rejected. So my family were very adamant about having a gay business and creating this like little oasis within the Korean community to have a gay bookstore and court like the gay community in their like business. So that's sort of like like the way that my family was very different. Wow, um, that is interesting. So right? that that's the one part of my family that was very unique is that they really set out to be um, an ally to the gay community where the rest of the Korean community was not. Um, so that's where I was really lucky there. Did uh, did the other family members though and friends, etc. Did they once you, especially because when you became a comic and you're saying these wonderful, outrageous things, were they like, "Oh my God, your daughter, what is she doing?" Well, they were just. Um, I think they were already kind of like afraid of our family anyway because we were just so like. Artistic, uh -huh. <laughs> that they were just sort of. I think they let let us alone. They let us be artistic on our own, and but they sort of expected that from us. Us, oh, okay. I guess. I got you. But despite the fact that you're queer, have you gotten in trouble from others in the community for the jokes that you've made? Probably. I mean, probably. I think that it's definitely something that is, um, you know, it's confronting. It's confronting to. Uh, Talk about like sexuality in the Korean context because Koreans are so like kind of protective of that. They're so like kind of puritanical about that kind of stuff, and um, so it can be very like shocking for them. Um, you know, for my family, often the the gay stuff is really okay with them. What they have a problem with is bisexuality. That's where they don't understand. Oh, fascinating. Why? Because they understand gay and they understand straight, but they don't understand duality. Like uh -huh. that—that's really confusing. You have to be one thing and you have to be the other, but you can't be both. Right. That's really off. Like you can't have everything. But there's then there's the other side of it. Like so, you seem to say something positive about Dave Chappelle, mm -hmm. and a lot of people are really pissed at Dave Chappelle. Yeah, yeah. So how do you handle that? Well, to me, I think that what Dave is is he, Dave is a true comedian, and comedians what they are is they want to challenge the status quo. That's what comedy is all about. It's challenging all that is said, everything that is mentioned. You know what comedy is is to be the true iconoclast is to to stand up against what's what's said, and and that's really what the true nature of comedy is. Okay, one more thing about uh, something that's in your stand up uh, again with this challenges that you had. So how did you get past it? So what was the turning point for drugs addiction? 
uh, alcohol, etc., where you were like, no, that's it, I'm turning around. Well, I think that like for me, it's really, I, I, I just, I, it's really just do this or die. And I really do enjoy comedy. I really do enjoy laughter. I do enjoy life. Like I, I think that it's, it's really fun, and I would like to continue doing this. You know, death is an easy enough choice to make, and so I can do that anytime. But you, you know, you don't, you don't get to do shows every single day, so I love that. Yeah. So, by the way, uh, you got to check out the Fresh Off the Bloat comedy tour, uh, Bria, California, January 10th and 11th. But just go to marketshow.com/tour. It's been going for almost two years now, yes. right? Yeah, and then you also have a podcast, the Margaret Show podcast. So what happens on the podcast? It's really fun, and it's just like getting down and talking very much like you know raw, dirty, crazy fun, and lots of great people mm -hmm. uh, like Quentin Tarantino, like uh, Jonathan Van Ness, like like lots of fun, fun folks and um, people who I love, and and we have a good time. All right, awesome. And back to touring. Um, so what's the best part of touring? What's the worst part? I think the best part is seeing the world. And the, wor the worst part is having to travel everywhere. <laughs> it's, it, that's, it's a very tiring thing, but then you get to see everything. So yeah. it's, it's a lot, but I love it. Yeah, and you were also a mass singer you, you recently. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So why'd you do a mass singer? Well, I love singing, and um, I used to be a Hello Kitty. So I, I'm. Oh really? I'm very familiar with the fur suit life. So, so I, I, I are did, you part of the furry community? I well, I didn't know if I, I would actually identify as a furry, but I've been inside of a fur suit more times than people would have ever really think that I was. I, no, I mean, if you I've ask done me, it. are you surprised if Margaret Cho was in a furry uh, costume more than you managed? I bet, I, no, I've, do, I've done it a surprised. lot. I've done it a lot. It's very hot in there. <laughs> I imagine. I see that as the biggest downside. All right, everybody check out Fresh Off the Bloat and uh, Margaret Cho podcast. Margaret, you're awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, uh, coming right back for uh, members only. Hillary Clinton goes after Bernie again. Uh, can you have an all women ticket? We'll talk about all that for the members. TYT.com slash join. We'll be right back.